What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how you doing today, man? Doing well on this snowy, blizzardy day in the Northeast. I don't know how people function out here with these constant delays and job closings and school closings, man. So so challenging. Yeah, it's it's awful. Don't even want to look outside right now. It's a hellscape for sure. We're going to be talking a lot of music today and then touching on some I look forward to the 2020 Oscars, you know, 2019 just wrapped up. We talked about the good and the bad, and if you want to go back and listen to that, you can find that as our Oscars recap. Hit that subscribe on YouTube and also go to soundcloud.com/nostalgiapod and find the podcast any way that you enjoy listening to it. Dave wanted to clear out the lane here a little bit for you so that you can dunk on somebody real quick. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a lot of music today, and every other thing I listen to, I have positive thoughts on. But uh, Lil Skies dropped his second album, Shelby, project I was very much anticipating. And I texted you, I was like, "Don't bother, man. Don't don't waste your time." And I was probably very disappointed because Lil Skies is someone that I spoke highly of in the XXL freshman discussion. Uh, he was originally picked, then he decided against doing it. But I thought he kind of represented what you expect of an XXL selection in terms of newness, success, future, uh, expected success, all that. Pennsylvania rapper who blew up pretty quickly with three platinum singles, Red Roses, Nowadays, and Lust. And I thought he immediately showed a great grasp of melody and just making fun songs. And while he wasn't reinventing the wheel per se, he definitely seemed to be existing successfully in that lane at a you know, very quickly after just one project. That song "Creeping," the Rich the Kid came out the middle of last year, like springtime. I was like, "All right, here's just a throwaway single that's also really good." And I'm like, "I really like where this is headed." Popped up on Wiz Khalifa's album with that "For Real, For Real" feature. That song did really big. And I was like, "All right, the next project, you know, who's on Atlantic Records now, and will have a great foundation, and I'm sure it'll be good." And no, this is. So disappointing, so forgettable, and it's really disappointing because he uses way too much autotune on this project, which is something he wasn't really doing at all on any of his past hits. So I was kind of surprised by the choice, but I mean, autotune itself is not a boogeyman. Artists, big and small, use it to great effect to make their songs sound better. But when everything is just so distorted to the point of like parody, it, I think it's just very distracting. But ultimately, the songwriting was just very rote, boring beats, recycled flows from the past hits and stuff. So I still like Little Skies. I still like all those songs I liked from last year in 2017. But I thought this was just a huge miss and frankly, not a good look considering he had great momentum. So I'm curious to see if he drops something at the end of the year just to restart because I really don't see any hits on this. So yeah, you can skip this Little Skies Shelby, that's for sure. It sounds like you don't feel like the Little Skies are falling. Uh, this, yeah. this is, uh, yeah, I was, I was cooking that one. <laughs> it sounds like you feel like it was too produced and, and there wasn't enough there substantially songwriting wise to really carry it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like His songwriting wasn't amazing before, but songs like Nowadays, songs like Lust, he at least was trying to explore more personal ideas and stuff. But again, it's not like he was ever reinventing me in the first place, but I just thought his grasp of melody made him a fun listen. And obviously, we know that the singing rap, the you know very melodic rap, is very in right now with uh, new artists. But I just think he just kind of failed to even attempt to do what he did successfully before. He just did this weird direction that just sounds very generic and isn't that good anyway. So disappointing effort, and I'm sure we'll hear from him pretty soon because he still streams pretty well 
and I don't think he's gonna his fans will evaporate off this. But this one itself shall be not good. You think he's still gonna get that XXL freshman nod? Well, no, because he accepted it last year oh, and sorry. then last minute said no. I, I would think that's a firm no on that. <laughs> Definitely, someone that. I was only aware of very tangentially, you know, listening to the Gorillaz albums, Humans, that we reviewed last year. Check that out uh, on our YouTube page. Was Little Sims. You know, she's featured on Garage Palace. Overall, I think we both felt like that project was pretty forgettable. And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> not one that I think we've gone back to very often. But you shot me a text this week. I was like, check this out. Pretty good. I gave it a listen. This Little Sims album, Gray Area, really blew me away. And not to step over the rest of the review, but I think this might be in the like early running for best rap album of 2019 so far. It's only 10 tracks, 35 minutes, but it's a diverse sounding album from, you know, obviously Lil Sims, a British rapper, been around since 2010, dropping EPs and singles and mixtapes. Only has, I think, three feature full length albums. This would be her third. And I think that this might be the one where she can finally break through and, and capture some more critical acclaim and attention she's only 25 which is crazy but before we get too far into it gray area your thoughts yeah i agree i've listened to most of her past work which again i was not aware of her until garage palace that gorilla song specifically gorillas i watched i saw them at the meadows 2017 they brought little sims out to perform her feature on that song and i was not even aware of that bonus track until i saw it live i was like wait this is awesome she was great performing it what is this song and i went from there and so i piece through her out all, all of her past work and i think this is clearly her, her best project thus far and like you said she's only 25 but if you look at her genius page or wikipedia it's a quite a prolific run of, of music mainly independently distributed and now she's signed to uh, age 101 it's a indie british distribution label so she's got very small people helping her it's she's certainly not a major artist and yeah i agree with what you said i, I think i hope that this gets her more mainstream attention, perhaps opens up more doors for her to you know, access other artists, perhaps on bigger labels. But even if, if that doesn't come to fruition, I don't think she, she needs the help. She's definitely a clearly a unique artist that has a lot to say. Yeah, she has a lot to say, and she takes a pretty straightforward, honest approach with a lot of it. And I think she does a pretty good job of exploring her own like vulnerabilities on this, you know, like tracks like therapy, you know, the last track that was looking at price of fame. And if you become famous, you know, like how it can lead to you know all these famous artists who have died early and all the problems that they had. It seems like she's pretty introspective, but I think the, the track that probably stood out most to me was actually the first one, Offense. And that's, that's for two reasons. One, she has this really like almost like growl cool delivery in it that's like you're just like wow this she sounds incredible on this it starts off with this like crazy bass and drum then starts layering in these flutes and other instruments afterwards and i feel like it captures the essence of this album so perfectly on this album i feel like there's tracks that are a little bit more airy a little bit lighter more r&b-ish that she's still rapping masterfully over but then she has those really hard sounding tracks that really just make you want to bop. And I think that she can go back and forth between it so easily. It's just really impressive. So Offense is one that stood out to me. But talk about some tracks that maybe you liked. Yeah, I really liked 101 FM towards the middle just because it loosely has a FM radio theme similar to Vince Staples' last project. But the Asian, clearly Asian influenced instrumentals and production was really cool. And then she just really rides that beat with a flow that's uh, kind of different than what she's been showcasing the rest of the project. A lot of funny like video game references and stuff on it, but I really like that just because I thought it sounded great. Even the song right, right after that, Pressure, Little Dragon. And Little Dragon hasn't been wowing anyone recently, 
but I thought the feature was quite strong. But yeah, I think throughout this, and I mean, this was present on her past work, I think especially her last two albums really kind of showed that she was like a really important artist to watch, but uh, even more so on Grey Air, she just has really evident technical ability that is matched with varied flows and a sound that doesn't like put you to sleep. She's a lyrical rapper that is still engaging to listen to and doesn't drone on or, you know, kind of blend in with the rest of her song. But I think it's quite hard, uh, quite, quite challenging. This is something that, again, like I said before, I hope can really be a, a big springboard for her. But even if it's not, I, I mean, why let's do it again, to be honest, because uh, like you said, there's a lot of lyrics here that uh, there's some dense concepts, you know, you gotta really listen, you know, feminist themes, empowerment, there's a lot on here. Yeah, you know, not that we need to be comparing, you know, the whole Nicki Minaj, Cardi B thing, but she reminded me a lot of No Name, just in terms of like, the way that she's able to, I think, get a lot out there without it becoming too dense and hard to access. Obviously, I think sound wise, they vary, but there, you know, there were some times like Selfish, I think, is a track that I could have definitely heard No Name actually rapping over instead of Lil Sims. But regardless, I think that Lil Sims has a great future ahead of her. We haven't added one of her songs to the uh, playlist yet. Uh, check that out. Now, Nostalgia Best of 2019. I feel like we could have added almost any of the, the 10. So <laughs> my, this one might, might be a hard choice, but I think I'm leaning towards the first one. Also, shout out Inflow, who produced this. I think he did a really great job of diversifying the sound and really texturing the the tracks a lot so why don't we jump to a more established and probably well-known artist at least here stateside probably just worldwide anyway two chains true rapper go to the league dog yeah man i was very excited for this i mean he had given us this album title last year and his previous album which we didn't end up reviewing on the pod but that came out in 2017 pretty girls like trap music that was until this point the best two chains album when he really started to like become like an elder statesman, you know, as an older rapper. I mean, he got really big later in life, you know, his like titty boy days, he wasn't as famous, but mid 2010s on, obviously he was a big mainstream rapper, big Atlanta rapper, but I think he really evolved. Uh, we maybe saw a little bit on Collie Girl for Little Wayne, but Pretty Girls Like Trap Means were like, there, there's more to Two Chains than we thought. And obviously that had big hits like Good Drank, 4AM, and It's a Vibe, but there were also like deep cuts on a Two Chains album for one song, like Riverdale Road, for example. Now, obviously was very much anticipating Rapper Go to the League, and I was a big fan of it. But what did you think as someone who's more of a cursory fan of Two Chains? You hear him when he pops up kind of fan. Yeah, I enjoy Two Chains a lot. Almost any feature he's on, uh, I think. He's excellent and always brings it. When I was first listening to him, I thought was this feels like his 444 in a way. Sure. Like he's really trying to like like say something and be introspective while also making an album that's like fun to listen to. And, you know, similar to what we were saying about Little Sims, no track really sounds the same on here, um, which I think is is unique for a 2 Chains album. Not that he, you know, always sounds homogeneous, but I think that. Two Chains kind of has he is who he is at this point, and he sometimes leans into that. But here he really tries to switch it up, and uh, I was impressed. I, I don't think this is my favorite rap album by any stretch, but there's a lot here to like. I, I was wondering, what did you think about all the features he has in this? Because he's got a ton. Of yeah, I, I think to your point, it very much has the union of strong message, introspective, older rapper reflecting on all of the things he's uh, achieved and, and experienced, and again. Not like a push a T level or four forty four, obviously, but as far as like Atlanta rapper, what we think of for an Atlanta sound, a Def Jam artist, generically speaking, it's definitely up there. And those features, I think, really contribute to. You can you can pick out where the singles are going to be off this, uh, like uh, the Travis song, the Kendrick song, 
maybe even the chance song. I know that's that's probably a little soft for a single, but the thug song definitely. I think all these features are great, and I think that that, that that's good because a lot of those guys do a lot of features these days. Even E Forty unexpectedly on uh, Two Dollar Bill, I thought was awesome. Kodak Black, interesting choice to pair with Chance, but I thought he was actually pretty good. And Dallas, I mean Dallas Sign and Travis, like I mean they had they were they made hits for Two Chains on Pretty Girls, so why not do it again? And yeah, I think uh, I think almost all the features are pretty great. It's funny because I think the song I like the most on this is one that he doesn't have a feature on, which is uh, "Threat to Society," which is like a very just like groovy, kind of like a '90s sounding pop song. Uh, it has a really awesome sample of the truth that's uh, so good to be alive. Um, that just kind of loops over and over and really gets like stuck in your head. But I, I do think that he gets a lot of the people on this, like even Ariana, who I think very easily could have phoned this in. And I don't think this is Ariana's best work, but I think she still gives a pretty solid vocal uh, sample and a, you know, a chorus for uh, the track that she's on, R- Rule the World. I, I didn't really like Lil Wayne, but I thought E-40 is pretty good. Uh, Chance was pretty good, although I, that song was kind of a snooze, snooze fest for me a little bit, especially near the end of, of the album. 54-minute yeah, runtime, man. It's tough. Uh, overall, I thought there was a lot lot good there. Kendrick, I could have I could have used a little more from, honestly. But I think for what my expectation of what this album was going to be, it definitely exceeded it. And that's not a knock against 2 Chains. I, I just I think I know him more as the guy who can come in and feature and kill it. Kind of like I, I see 21, although... 21's album also right. surprised me so a lot more there to those artists than i think i give them credit for yeah this is funny because this album also I, it, I mean this was probably not foreseen that long ago until recent developments but it's kind of the the bookend of the ariana grande seven rings fiasco right i mean hmm. since that happened with the you know flow biting closure appropriation marks etc check our video on that we went into it more two chains hopped on the seven rings remix Right. And basically, and Ariana basically acknowledged, like, yeah, I was biting the spended flow from Two Chains. I thought everyone knew that. And then they kind of cleared the air on that, did the remix. But Two Chains recently said that Ari had actually done this feature for him before that. Furthermore, on later on on this album, Two Chains, I said me samples my favorite things, just like Seven Rings did. I wasn't expecting this much of a connection back to Ariana Grande but I guess that kind of speaks to her ubiquity at this point <laughs> yeah that, uh, that, that's a good point I actually had to- totally forgotten about that 2019 is moving at like the pace of a cheetah right now it's only gonna get busier for us well, what were your favorite songs off this you mentioned a couple but which ones are you, do you think you'll be coming back to yeah I thought NCAA that hook kicks ass I thought that song ruled and then I also really like Statute of Limitations. That definitely gave me some pusher vibes, speaking about past dalliances and illicit activity. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. Threat to Society is awesome as well. And, you know, I mean, for a 54-minute album, there's only a few songs I would probably cut or not really go back to. And unfortunately, Chance is on one of those songs. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to Chance's project, but this is not a song that got, is giving me more hype for it. I agree with you. And one other one I liked a lot was Mama, I Hit a Lick with uh, Kendrick. I, oh, yeah. I really think that one's good. The, the beginning just pulls you right in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's awesome to have these two really strong rap albums come out. Um, I feel like we've really been gearing up and we're going to really hit our stride coming April with some really solid albums. You know, an album that was very anticipated, though. It's been five years since the debut album, Hozier, came out in 2014. We had an EP last year, Nina Cried Power. We reviewed it. A couple songs on there we liked. Cautiously Optimistic. What did you think of Wasteland Baby, Hozier's second album? Two of those Nina Cried Power songs are back on 
this new mm-hmm. Hozier record. Yeah, I, I liked it. I think it's more of I was like more of the same. That sounds negative, but like it's more of what I like from the Nina Cried Power Joints. It's just he has an interesting charisma as a alt rock soul artist. I don't know how, how would you actually categorize him? Indie folk, I guess. Yeah, like, like definitely folk adjacent. But I'm like you know, most folk music, I can't stand because it's a, it's just a snooze fest for me. But Hozier, I really like just because there's more like bark to his music, and he also has a unique a unique voice unique cadence so yeah again like, this is a, a long record but i think it flows pretty well and it, it sounds good and i think you know for an artist that basically went away after he got mega famous at age 23 comes back what almost four and a half years later five yep. years later like it, it's definitely a successful comeback he's gonna have a huge tour off this and obviously there's no taking to church on this song is approaching a billion streams on spotify I don't think he's ever going to achieve that kind of success again, considering the genre of music he makes. That being said, he is like top 120 on Spotify. He gets like 15 million monthly listeners. He is a gigantic artist. And he is signed to Island, which is the British label run by Universal. So he's mainstream as it gets, honestly. But I don't think he compromised anything on this after all the fame, which is probably all you can ask for if you're a big fan of him. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of crazy to think about that he's, you know, top hundred fifty streamed artist on Spotify Spotify when he really only has one record prior to this past Friday. Um it, he has a huge, huge following. Uh I think the appeal's obvious. You you kinda touched on a lot of it. I actually think Take Me to Church, uh, artistically has hurt him just a little bit on this record. Because I think the songs where he tries to lean into like that you know, like having the the church choir in the background and trying to make it a little bit more like dark and edgy um, is when the songs seem to lack a little bit for me. And I think when he leans more into the songs uh, like off his first record, Jackie Wilson or Cherry Wine, like songs that are more folky, but he really finds a way to make them catchy and more mainstream than most folk comes across i think that's when he does his best and like like a song like no plan on this is one that stands out to me even the title track wasteland baby almost sweet music i think all those songs kind of fit in that that mold where he's able to use his songwriting which i think is excellent to deliver these songs that most people wouldn't like in a way that just makes you want to listen to them over and over and over again. I know I listened to this album like three or four times sitting at my desk last Friday, just <laughs> kind of like working my way through it. So, you know, I- I'm wondering, because I know that you're not big into like indie rock, folk rock. Like, what do you think it really makes Hozier transcend past where most artists like him are? Because it, he really, I think he, you could very easily just call him indie rock, but something about him as an artist really captures people. I don't know. I think it's being like a bigger sound. He, he's like good Mumford and Sons, you know, like it's like better written, just more interesting. But that base appeal to the white people of the world, of which there are many, came around at the right time. But it's just, again, I just find it very interesting that he's so famous and so successful, despite making music that is much more artistic than most of the folk right. grab bag you get nowadays. So yeah. like the Lumineers and Mumford and Sons just pale in comparison to what Hozier can do. I need to listen to some of the press he does because I have to listen to hear more about his process. But honestly, I'm pretty blown away that he can go he can go away for that long 
in your 20s, in, mm-hmm. in your prime, while you're making all this money streaming all this music, and then you, this is the album you can make. He, he, didn't, yeah. he didn't sell out. It's very impressive. Yeah, and, I, and this album actually feels a bit like a transitional album for me. You know, I think he's really still finding how he wants to make songs and how he wants to be writing them. And I have a feeling his next album is really going to be when he's able to kind of put it all together as he as he matures as an artist and thinks about more what he has to say. So, Hozier, I'm really excited for the, the feedback we get on this because I know that he... He has a huge following, and I think that he's excellent. And I hope we get some Hozier fans following this page because we like to talk about him for sure. An artist, we did we talk about a seat at the table when it came out? I can't remember. That's 2016. We that's right when we started. Didn't review the album. We talked about the end of the year. Talked about Cranes in the Sky. I think that might have made your mm-hmm. top 10 songs list, perhaps. Um, Great. Song. It won a Grammy, so we probably talked about it then. But yeah, we un- undercovered the Slange comeback. Years, yeah, you know, that's for sure. For real, a comeback because I think her last album prior to 2016 had been 2008, so there yeah. was like an eight year period. Yeah, Solange came back in 2016 with a vengeance because I see at the table is not only critically acclaimed, but it's beloved. You look back at that year and people are talking about it now, just three years later, as a classic album um, in, in some places. It's really impressive to see her comeback. And when I get home, feels like the perfect follow up to a seat at the table for me it's not going to be as big as that album because you don't have a song like cranes in the sky or don't touch my hair but i think as an album it's it's so cohesive and it's almost just kind of like one kind of like run long on uh, one long run on uh, experience in a way Mm -hmm. the way it flows together that it's almost hard to think of it individually and just more of like the overall feeling you had listening to the album. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's funny because there's a lot of tracks on this. There's a lot of interludes and short songs, yet actually feels like well-paced still because it's actually still not that long. It's just a lot of individual tracks. And yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know if I think there is a chance that given that she's now established in this new era for her, her career, I think maybe she could do better mainstreamly streaming attention. You know, I mean, obviously she'll get award attention, she'll get critic attention. She already had that. But I think Stay Flow or uh, Almeida. Like I think those songs have yeah. a chance to get picked up and do big numbers. I mean, they're both already over a million in a few days. Um, I guess not, not, not that much. But for Neo Soul, for R&B, uh, real R&B, you know, I think these could be some of the biggest songs in that in that field of the year. But, yes, Stay Flow is incredible. Just at, at, the first time I listened to that, I immediately had to restart it, um, yep. just because it's such a funky song and it, it's infectious for sure. Uh, yeah, Al- Almeida also I think would have a chance. The thing I think is most impressive to me is the list of collaborators she had on this mm. that helped her to shape this album. I mean, yeah, Pharrell. You got Devin, uh, Devin Hines, Metro Boomin, The Dream, uh, Sampha, Tyler, Playboy e- Cardi. E. Lacey, Gucci. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty much uh, any like black artist who's influential and uh, creative and inventive right now. I mean, not every single one, but a majority of them are helping Slange or had some part on this. Right. And, that's not, and it's not even to say that a lot of them were features but more just collaborators and actually like helping her to craft her sound and make this an interesting sounding album and it really shows because i can't really remember hearing a lot of albums that i could really compare this to because it it's so nuanced in terms of the way it switches up at times the way it layers in different instruments and different sounds and then takes a left turn to something new but makes it feel like it 
makes total sense. Um, it's just, I, I think, really expertly done. It's a really impressive album in how it's crafted, I think. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of those collaborators, I mean, Earl and Sitting on the Corner, you know, right. guys that Earl put on recently some rap song, like, they're on here. I was like, wait, is Pharrell not in here? That'd be this. No, no, Pharrell's here. He's He, he was on Almeida. So it's like mm-hmm. really inspired choices for collaborating, A. But also, like, no one in, like, this, this field makes albums constructed this way you know it's just there's clearly a lot of effort and time put into really dictating the vibe and what she's really trying to do here and similar to uh, see the table so i think this new era of solange is getting big and obviously being beyonce's sister i've helped her for many years but i think she's clearly out of that shadow now which is great you know because i mean personally I never really thought much of her. I hadn't really listened to her old music when she was very young. And then once See the Table happened, I'm like, really? Well, I've been up Solange now. That's what's going on. But <laughs> real deal. Yeah, I think, I'm i curious to see, A, how this does first week in terms of this. I want to really see what how big is this star actually. And then also, Safe Flow, Almeida, can those songs become streaming hits? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. You know, Solange just comes across as so confident in who she is, not only as a person, but as an artist on this. To make the choices she's making and to put out a record like this and just be like, this is what I want to put out. And also, it was a surprise drop. I mean, she let us know, what, a day in advance and then dropped it at midnight. Just the the, the confidence she has is, is evident. And I'm really uh, just impressed with her as an artist. Because like you said, I don't think anyone... 10 years ago would have been like, oh yeah, Slant Knoll is going to be this really well-respected, well-regarded artist. I think we were going to always think of her as Beyonce's little sister, but she's so much more now. It's amazing. Any last thoughts before we wrap up on music? No, uh, I, I don't think anyone needs uh, prodding to listen to this album, but yeah, I'm uh, very curious to see how this plays out for her. But I will prod people to go listen to that little Sims album. Yeah. Give it a listen. For sure. For sure. All right, we're going to transition to movies here. You know, Oscars just wrapped up, but, you know, similar to the NBA season and to, eh, I guess, football in a way, baseball not so much anymore. The Oscars never really stops. Man. <laughs> we're, we're talking about it constantly and not even a week after the awards. And we already got our first controversy for the next award season. Steven Spielberg penned a letter to the Academy. I think he's like the it's like the governor of the Directors Guild or something like that at this point. He proposed changes to the eligibility of films for the Oscars next year. Basically, the letter said that films that debut on streaming or have a short theatrical run, similar to Roma, sounds like, should be up for Emmys, but not for the Oscars. No one wants a freaking Emmy, dog. No one cares about Emmys. <laughs> it, it, I mean, in the EGOT, them and, and the Grammys are kind of like, eh, okay, someone will get those eventually if they want them. They just kind of give those out like candy, it feels like. But we're talking about Oscars here, man. And, I mean, shots at, shots at Netflix, right? Yeah, this is directly aimed at Netflix and specifically how uh, everything would happen with Roma this past award season. And it's really annoying to hear the kind of rhetoric that's being espoused because it's not the first time he's commented about this. Um, remember... This fiasco about uh, the movies being at con and if they're eligible and all that nonsense. But suggesting that movies that don't have like big releases be eligible for Oscars, go to streaming really quick if there's not a long enough exclusivity window, it's just a really slippery slope because you're really hurting independent film in general, small movies. Not everyone gets to make anything they want, like Steven Spielberg. And 
as a result, when they do get something made, these people usually only get it in a few hundred theaters. It only makes, if they're lucky, $3 million at the box office, right? Let's look at stuff like Cold War. Cold War barely made any money. It's already on Amazon Prime in a few weeks. It goes in theaters a few months. Now, Roma is the extreme because Roma topped out at like 120 theaters or so, but they didn't. Netflix doesn't release box office info, even though the movie was mm-hmm. earning a box office. I think NUR estimated it made around $4 million, which is pretty solid. It's better than Burning, mm-hmm. better than Shoplifters, better than a lot of other movies people talk about this year. It's just anger at Netflix for being a disruptor. And if they want to operate as a traditional studio, you should be paying, playing by the other rules everyone else has. And it's weird because like the Academy doesn't have a forced exclusivity window. They don't really have any of this. They haven't for a few years now. So it's weird that a lot of the complaints are technically not against the rules. And it's really just, we want to change the rules to affect how, how we award. But I, I just think it's a really weird form of gatekeeping because it just so obviously affects other small movies. And like, yeah, Netflix spent million tens of millions of dollars pushing Roma but it still was technically in theaters for three weeks exclusively and made a few million dollars there so I mean what's wrong with that I, I, I don't I don't really like the complaint I think it's pretty annoying yeah the the perspective is a an interesting thing to think about in this because like you said Spielberg gets to make literally anything he wants I mean he's making a freaking West Side Story remake with Ansel Elgort I mean, literally anything he wants. And I I do think that, you know, Netflix is a disruptor and I can understand those the the old heads who want to keep things traditional and, you know, go to the movie theater and spend your $15 on a ticket and get your popcorn for $10. But that's not how it is anymore. And a lot of people can't afford to go to the movies, can't access movies, can't see these small films. You know, you talk about uh, you talked about Cold War. Um, film that's on Amazon now and that people can go and watch. I think it's definitely better for more people to get their eyes on that. Um, Even if it's in a worse setting than for uh, it to be in theaters and have to be traditional and then it gets forgotten, you know, in two or three years because no one saw it. And the only people that talk about it are the people who are going to see it anyway because they have to. These streaming services allow opportunities to people to see films that are better than the the crap most people go to see i mean when i was a kid we didn't go to the movies all the time but the ones we did go to were the big block blockbuster ones you know like we saw star wars in theaters i saw all the comic book movies in theaters when they started coming out like that was um what we would go and spend our money on because it's a family experience but no one's gonna go see these artsy films and so giving them an opportunity to be seen is not a bad thing it's gonna be interesting to see how this is actually received moving forward because you know Netflix has been pushing for the last two years. I mean, maybe it might even be three. The Irishman, Scorsese at the helm. You got De Niro, Pacino, Joe Pesci, a uh, bunch of other well-known Harvey actors. Keitel. Yeah, Harvey Keitel, um, who are g- going to be leading this thing. And that is going to run up and almost certainly get a nomination or at least be in the discussion for a nomination. if Unless th- this change is made. And at that point, that can, then it kind of becomes Scorsese versus Spielberg in terms of the lobbying here. Right. And well, the thing is with The Irishman is there's talk of it'll be it'll be in a theater release. The teaser they put out that really was just, you know, words. On, and it, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't really a teaser, but that teaser said uh, in theaters before it said and on Netflix. So I think they're 
Netflix is going to put their, their the biggest movies. I mean, they're making hundreds of movies a year. They're making more movies than anybody any other studio makes, obviously. But they're gonna put the biggest ones out in the theaters, and it's tough to know how much of that is Scorsese's push. He's like, yeah, I'll I'll make this movie. I'll take your money, but we're also putting it in theaters. Like Quaron is often credited with getting Roma in as many theaters as 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 it could. On the other hand, maybe Netflix is just like anything that we have clear awards buzz about. We'll put it in the theaters just to try and ruffle as few feathers as possible. I don't know. You can take it any way you want with this. Uh, but yeah, will it be Spielberg versus Scorsese? I, I don't. I don't think it'll actually get to that. But you know, back, back to what you were saying about like people going to the theater. Misread. It's, it's annoying misread that say like, oh, things that the streamers make or they put them out. They should be. I was like, no, these are movies, and the reason they're not in theaters is because. Movies occupy a smaller piece of the pop culture pie chart now. That's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Less tickets are sold now than they were 10 years ago. Even though with rising ticket prices, we have big opening day weekends still and records broken. So, I mean, this also contributes to the Oscars ratings going down. Less people are just in the movie space. There's more competition. It's obvious, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're putting this on YouTube. YouTube didn't really exist as a place where people use hours of their time 10 years ago, you know? Video games, right. Twitch, all this stuff. So any way you can to make movies accessible and viable should be used, and thus the Oscars, which the whole point is to preserve the record of film industry and showcase the best it does. You don't want to cross off again the small films, the independent films, money which are often the best of the year. So I, I just, mm-hmm. it's a really frustrating stance, especially since the talk is that Spielberg was leading the charge for Green Book. Because of course right. it was. <laughs> so yeah. I think this is far from over as a talking point. But as you said, it, it, it came up pretty quick, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it it's, is funny to think about how Spielberg was pushing so hard for Green Book. And it really feels a lot kind of like we've been talking about with the Academy for the last couple of years. How there's kind of like this, this new guard that's been moving in as the Academy has been expanding. Um, and this old guard that is still heavily entrenched and has such a strong voice. I mean, I think that's what's going to make this such an interesting topic to watch because Spielberg, I think, for better or for worse, really has a major influence on a lot of people. I mean, he's a, one of the living legends of film at this point. And I think a lot of people take what he has to say and will listen to it. So how the Academy handles this and how they, they look at it. I mean, they talked about adding categories. I don't know if this is something that they would even consider, but potentially like having a category for, you know, best streaming movie or something like that. Yeah, no, there's uh, no way that would fly. It's just like the popular movie. It would be interesting. Stuff, you know, I, I don't think that would have any support from actual creators, you know, just more like the angry Oscar people, which Spielberg is a creator, of course. But yeah, like, Remember when everyone was mad about best popular film as a way, mm-hmm. instead of just best film, which is what best picture is? I think that would have a right again if you tried to make a lesser label like that. But ultimately, how does something like that affect the the Oscars to throw out? Like, I would almost bet that they're going to throw out like float out ideas like that to see how people respond, and then you know pull back when they do get that negative response. I agree, people won't be happy about it. Yeah, you know, I think they should focus on slightly different things that also kind of award other types of films like a breakthrough performance award of some kind or 
um, some kind of stunt or action-based award. There are a bunch of ways, and there's a lot of pieces about this, just, you know, ways to expand the Oscars, you know, bring up more interest in other categories, but also chances to recognize variety of excellence in film that we have every year. So it's all one big kerfuffle, honestly, and we'll see as more more talk comes out. Does the Spielberg camp's credit, one of, their, one of the complaints on that side is that Roma's massive push into independent theaters and dominating that and also the financial push kind of hurt other foreign language films specifically uh the sony pictures movies caparnum and never look away which were both not also nominated for foreign language film they did not get to release until after the holidays when there was more space so part of the anger is not so much that roma was not in theaters that long but that they were the way they were in the theaters for only a certain amount of time but also affecting other movies so trying to be more traditional so there's there's a lot of, a lot of sides to it. So I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out because obviously it'll come up again. Drop your opinion uh, in a comment below this video, or um, you know hit us up on our SoundCloud. Uh, we really want to hear from other people and what their perspective is is on this. Uh, and we we appreciate all the support that you give, all the interactions. Also hit us up on Twitter at Nostalgia Pod, um, and you can leave your opinion there. You know, we mentioned already The Irishman, which seems like Netflix's obvious push for the 2020 Oscars. Scorsese probably getting a director nom, possibly the Best Picture nomination. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a heavy push for that. What? Why don't we talk about some of the other movies that we're looking forward to in 2020 that we think will grab some Oscars buzz, potentially get Best Picture nominations. Here, I'll start off, get an obvious one out of the way. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarantino already been nominated three times for Best Picture. He's won, I think, Best Adapted Screenplay and Original Screenplay in the past. If I'm yep. Right? No director. And yeah, no director. Um, this is a movie that has uh, you know DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Pacino, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell, and it's about Hollywood. Um, you know, in like the 1960s, 1970s. I, I have a feeling this is going to get a nomination. Um, I would be very surprised if it at least isn't in heavy discussion yeah i agree that that's an obvious one that's also anticipated movies of the year like many people very exciting because we i mean we don't really have a trailer yet we just had those 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 teaser images and it's like yeah it just looks it's, awesome it's, it's a cool premise so i'm very excited for that and you got the irishman of course has another obvious high profile thing connection to netflix notwithstanding i mean you, think, you just think about like oscar movie has a lot of different connotations one of the tried and true ones is historical biopic. Sometimes mm-hmm. those movies don't get all the way, like recently on the basis of sex, an enjoyable film that didn't quite get over the top, wasn't quite mm-hmm. that special uh, to be Oscar nominated. Other times you have very artsy movies that have a actor whose time has come and they get over the they get they get close even if the movie is probably just good, not great. Something like Darkest Hour last year with Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year we have Harriet. With Cynthia Erivo playing Harriet Tubman, of course. That's an obvious one. Um, also, I'm not sure about this one because it's coming out a little sooner, but Tolkien, Nicholas Holtz playing J.R. Tolkien. Lily Collins mm-hmm. is in there as his eventual wife. Um, curious to see how that one does. And there's a bunch of other ones that I don't, I don't even think we we quite know about, like, you know, if they're going to come this year and stuff. But those kind of moves always come out. So I think they're kind of easy to bank on as one of the one one type mm-hmm. of historical biopic historical event movie will be around another one being thrown out is that sundance was the report adam driver and annette benning mm-hmm. uh, about 9 11 
And I also could see that being maybe they can't quite push it all the way, but maybe they focus on Annette Benning trying to get her an Oscar. She's been close the past few years, 20th century women, film stars are dying at Liverpool. She's been trying to really break <laughs> through. And people really Man, like, she's playing Diane Feinstein in this, so it's a historical character. So I think get, that, that's one to watch. Get Adam Driver his Oscar, for real. I mean, you, we're, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, I'm sure, but he has a chance to possibly be nominated for as Kylo Ren. If if Star Wars gets nominated for Best Picture, which I don't know if, if I think it will happen, but um, there's been a lot of buzz about the possibility of it. And I think if, if, if it does get nominated or if it's at least in the discussion, he might have a heavy chance of getting nominated for that. But get Adam Driver his Oscar already. He's one of the best working actors right, right now. Yeah, I think Episode Nine and whatever, obviously, whatever it ends up being called, the obvious comp is Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, which right. won like was it thirteen Oscars, including Best yeah. Picture. Um, similar idea. If the movie's critically acclaimed at the end of the year, that conversation will happen, and right. Driver will be part of it. I mean, you just saw Black Panther get nominated. That was definitely more recognition of the cultural event. I don't know if Star Wars quite will be able to make that kind of. Uh, you know, impact like impact, that, yeah. but uh, it'll probably make slightly less money as well, uh, domestically anyway. But that that'll happen. And in terms of like blockbusters, I don't know if there's anything else. Like, I mean, The Star Is Born made a lot of money. Timmy and Rhapsody mm-hmm. came out of nowhere, made a lot of money, and got Oscar attention. Is Rocket Man, Taron Egerton's Elton John movie coming out in a few months? Is that gonna get there? If the movie ah. is good, I mean, there's a chance the movie's better than Timmy and Rhapsody. Frankly, it won't take that much to hit that bar. <laughs> and if the movie becomes another big hit and we can talk about how Egerton also sang in it unlike Rami I think I mean this narrative has been beat to death but it's also very easy to see so mm-hmm. I think this is one that that's one thing that big money movie that actually could be at the end like episode nine otherwise like I, I don't know I, I don't think the Lion King even though I think that movie mm-hmm. the chance to be the highest grossing movie ever I don't think that'll really get anywhere beyond the animated categories other than that I mean I don't know what how about much Endgame from us Jordan Peele, how much money that'll make. We got out made a lot of money. Obviously, yeah. we expect us two weeks. We'll find out how good it is soon. That'll be in the conversation, I think. But yeah, I, I don't know how many other big movies really have a chance. What do you think about Endgame? Uh, I I don't see it really getting there, but yeah, it's, I don't. it could. It's in the discussion. I mean, here's the thing. It's like maybe like five hours long. Like <laughs> yeah, I I just I mean, what what are they honoring? I mean, a lot of people would be like, we we don't need to recognize the ten year Marvel run. They get recognized by the box office chart every year. They, they, Black Panther got recognized, not for being a Marvel movie, but for being a culturally milestone movie. What, what is what is the real recognition of Endgame besides being a movie a lot of people really want to see? I'm, I'm, yeah, not, I'm, I'm not sure if it gets there because it's not going to be as critically adored as Episode Nine would be if Episode Nine was very good. I think the argument for Endgame would be well, probably the, the, similar to um, Avengers issue, like the technical piece of it and. But I think also, it you know the ten year build up to this, it took so much planning and writing and interweaving of stories. I think that there is an argument to be made that you know if this if they do land land the ship and this does capture some critical acclaim, that you can make the argument that what they did is way more impressive than like the first trilogy of Star Wars, um, even Lord of the Rings, because they basically took these eight nine characters and somehow interweaved all their stories together in a way that somehow made sense and honors all these other movies and these characters each get their piece of the pie it's pretty impressive it would need to like win the producers guild award or something to get recognized i think for as like that being the narrative for it but 
Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't see it don't personally, see but it. it's possible. A couple that I think are shoe wins to get a Oscar buzz, possibly nominations. I mean, us you mentioned. I think that one will definitely be in the discussion. Little Women. We've met. We talked about it quite a bit here. Yeah, Greta Gerwig, her follow-up film. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Chalamet, Meryl Streep. Lawrence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon from Sharp Objects, Laura Dern. It's fucking I don't see how this one crazy. misses. Yeah. I think also one of the things that people come back to is the directors are usually men. And Greta Gerwig got nominated as a female director her first time around. As long as this thing is... Uh, even I think half of what we expect it to be, and I have a feeling it will meet all expectations, if not exceeds, she'll be up there, and I think the movie will as well. Uh, one movie that I wasn't really on my radar, but sounds really intriguing, is Ford versus Ferrari. Hell yeah, bro. Uh, <laughs> James Mangold uh, obviously did Logan. Um, he's at the helm here, he, and it's talking about the two car companies battling to see which company can get their car to win the layman's back in 1966 you got christian bale and matt damon i mean talk about throwing all the recipes in the pot and coming up with an oscar worthy soup like that's got to be it yeah i think that I think that's another obvious one that's and, and like once my time in hollywood's getting all the attention but i think ford and fry is really going to sneak up and surprise some people just because a lot of people don't have mm-hmm. it on their radar um very yep. excited for that similarly i'm interested to see I think he needs to do critically well, but Ad Astra, the science fiction movie where Brad Pitt goes to Neptune to find his dad who never returned, Time Lee Jones. Oh, yeah. Directed by James Gray, who did uh, oh, yeah. The Lost City of Z. So I think if that movie's good, and I'm, I'm very, very much anticipating that it comes out in the middle of the summer, that's in the convo. Uh, then there's movies that, like, you have to at least think about them because they're, direct, they're made by previously recognized directors i mean where do you go bernadette is a richard linklater movie so maybe we'll see gemini man with will smith that's ang yep. lee who's yep. one best director yeah you can't can't forget about those you got the goldfinch with john crowley who did brooklyn didn't i don't think he won for that but he's nominated soderbergh comes back again we just had high flying bird comes back again with the laundromat the panama papers movie which is a little higher profile i mean we all love andre holland and zazie beats but this one has gary oldman meryl streep and Antonio Banderas, and that's probably Netflix's other big one after yeah. Irishman. So that's yeah, well, cool. One we haven't mentioned yet, which I think is uh, <laughs> incredibly Oscar baity, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So you got yep. Tom Hanks portraying Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. You got Matthew Reese from The Americans, our guy, playing um, a journalist named Lloyd Vogel, and it's about their relationship. But it's uh, directed by Marielle Heller, who directed Can You Ever Forgive Me? Which people, I think, uh, right leading up to the Oscars were a little frustrated that that didn't get more love. And I think that this could be kind of a makeup for her. As long as this movie is everything people are expecting it to be, I could see her I could see her getting at least discussed as a possible director nom. And certainly the movie and probably Hanks as well, just because Tom Hanks gets nominated every time he, he does something at this point. So that, that one seems like a pretty good bet. One that I'm really interested by and i want to hear what your thoughts are on it this movie jojo rabbit which i i just learned about reading up on the potential uh movies that you know for 2020 that or 2020 oscars so this this kid who's living in nazi germany back during world war ii uh finds out that his mother who's played by scarlett johansson is secretly sheltering a jewish boy (laughs) and he has this imaginary friend who's an ethnically inaccurate version of adolf hitler 
played by Taika Watiti, also directed by Taika Watiti. Sounds at the same time hysterical and confunding, and I'm here for it. And I would love to see that get an Oscar nom. But man, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, kind of thinks kind of feels like it's a amalgamation of Death of Stalin and like Sorry to Bother You or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pr- probably doesn't get 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 to the finish line in terms of award conversation. But may- maybe some critics list it turns out good. On that same note, I'm really excited for High Life, Claire Denis' uh, first English film. A24 picked it up. It's Robert Pattinson and Andre 3000 in space. <laughs> first trailer sold me 30 times over. Very excited for that. I think Claire Denis, she's very old. She's a French actor, director. Maybe there could be a push to recognize her. I mean, we just had last year two foreign language directors nominated Powell and Quaron, of course, so mm-hmm. maybe that happens if High Life really takes off. Maybe it's A24's version of First Reformed this year, yep. possible. Gloria Bell, directed by the guy yep. who did A Fantastic Woman, which won Best Foreign Language Film two years ago. Coming this out this Friday. A, yeah, and that's a, okay. the English-Americanized version of a movie he made has Julian Moore in it, so again, another one potential you could see get something. Um, A24 has a bunch of other movies this year, The Near, The Farewell, movies they just picked up recently. Um, mm-hmm. They're always good, you know, good bet to have high quality films. I think Tilda Swim's in one of those, so, you know, obviously possible that something catches on like that. I didn't see this on any list that I, I, I was checking to make sure I wasn't forgetting anything, but I'm very curious to see how Uncut Gems does. This is the Safdie Brothers follow-up movie mm-hmm. to Good Time, coming out sometime at the end of the year, assumingly. So... I know Good Time got a ton of attention from the critics, so maybe their follow-up gets a little more recognition. Possible. Did you mention The Woman in the Window? I did not. I think that's a fascinating film, because everything I know about the uh, the guy who made the book it's based off of is uh, interesting. Apparently, the book's also bad, which is funny, because <laughs> this directly conflicts with the fact that it's directed by Joel Wright. Yeah. The book was adapted by Tracy Letts, and in the movie, we have who... Uh, Brian Tyree Henry, Gary Amy Goldman, Adams, Amy Julianne Adams. Moore, yeah. stacked cast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, that one, you know, uh, going to be either really, really good or a major flop. And it feels like there's really no in between for it. But yeah, there's a lot of good movies coming out. The The Good Liar, Billy Condon, you got Amy McKellen and Helen Mirren yep. uh, in that one. There, there's a lot of good movies coming out. And I, I mean, I think you, the ones we mentioned at the top are probably the best bets to get in there. I have a feeling we're going to probably be talking about movies that we don't even know of right now that <laughs> will be in this race. Yeah, one that I, I definitely think it could be there at the end. I don't even know if the title has an official title yet, but it's the Roger Ailes movie. The, the, yeah. the comps are obvious with Vice, but yeah. this one isn't directed by someone as big or as his stature of adam mckay started by jay roach so i don't know if they'll quite get there but then again ales is played by lithgow megan kelly's played by charlie's Theron. uh nicole kidman's in here margot robbie's in here allison janney's in here connie Britton's in here <laughs> feels like vice again now vice yeah. obviously didn't do as well as it wanted to but it was still nominated for best picture and a bunch of other stuff so i think that's possible as well uh absolutely and uh if that chalamet uh one with uh pattinson uh oh uh, the henry the fifth movie yeah, the, the, king? the king. The king. If that one comes out, that will obviously be in the discussion. Too many good movies coming out right now, which is why it's not. It's okay that some of them come out on streaming services so other people can see them. Uh, yep. Shout yeah. out Steven Spielberg. Any last movies you want to get in before we wrap up? That was it for me. No, I, th- I think I think we nailed it. I mean, Best of Enemies comes yep. out soon. Taraji and Rockwell. 
again, it's tough to bank on anything coming up this early in the year, being around a year from now when award season happens. But I really think a middle March with us, and then on to April, we're really starting to see a lot of stuff, especially as the Sundance movies start picking mm-hmm. their you know their times. Uh, Under the Silver Lake with Garfield comes out in uh, April. Andrew Garfield. Yep. Uh, we don't know if that's actually actually any good, but it's definitely an artsy movie. So mm-hmm. you know, plenty of stuff to consider. Absolutely. And we'll be talking about all of it. So hit that subscribe button and uh, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Um, what we got next week? Captain Marvel? Yep. Oh, Captain yeah. Marvel comes out. So as you can imagine, no other new movies to speak of <laughs> besides Captain Marvel. Uh, us even backed up an additional week to get more of uh, breathing room. So that's us is two weeks from now. So Captain Marvel will dominate, make the money. I mean, the box office yeah. number is probably the most interesting thing to see. I know people are looking at, can it hit 150? Well, um, we also got Gloria Bell coming out this Friday, but I don't know if we'll get to it next week. Good point. It'll probably be in a third of the theaters Captain Marvel yeah. is in, but still counts. You're right. On the music front, as of right now, just two notable releases. Juice World's second album, A Death Race for Love. Uh, that robbery single's been picked up for him already, so we'll see how that is. Obviously, he's very hot right now. And then uh, Gisafelstein, European <laughs> DJ, probably known to most people for his work with The Weeknd. Walls in the Fire came out already. Uh, his only second album, Hyperion. So I'm curious to see that just because he's actually an EDM artist that I still am interested in. I think most you know DJs have really, or the EDM scene in terms of like making like mainstream popular music has really kind of faded back a bit, as, you know, from where its peak was like five years ago. So he's actually someone I'm, I'm still keeping an eye out for. So I'm curious to see how this turns out. And we'll also be talking about Umbrella Academy, which came out back on February 15th, but we finally have time to talk about it. So make sure you get caught up 10 episodes on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, so again, uh, hit us up at soundcloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. Hit us up on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. We love you. We appreciate you. And Lil Skies, trash. See you next week. Yeah.